If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The strength that comes from being vulnerable, not just online, but also offline, is that people trust you more. People uh, relate to you more, particularly when you're a leader of a business. Like my team know when I'm having a shit day because I tell them, but they also know that I'll fix it. And so I think there is a real strength in, in giving other people permission to be vulnerable, particularly when you're running a business. Hey, how are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. How are you, Peter? I'm awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have you on the call. I think to those that know our show, we kind of kind of like to dive straight into it in respect to why you do the work you do today. You've got an amazing story to tell, so I know there's a lot we can kind of spin off. But let's start with like the who you are, what you do, and why. God, big question. So it's like piss around, do you? Um, right. So who am I? Well, I'm Amelia Sordell. I run a personal branding agency called Clout. So we basically build the personal brands for uh, entrepreneurs, leaders, founders, online, offline. So that could be getting them on stages to do speaking. It could be managing their social media and everything in between. Why I do what I do. I think that inherently people think that they aren't that interesting. And actually, every single one of us has such an uh, incredible story to tell and such an amazing personality to share with the world. And it sounds really fluffy, but I want to be the agency that helps do that at scale. And it gives me so much joy when I get messages from clients being like, oh, I've had a DM from someone who experienced the same thing I did from that by sharing that post that you did for us. So yeah, that's why I do what I do. Nice. And looking into the the business of branding people, not businesses, let's start from the beginning. Let's start with with your own entrepreneurial journey, because I, I remember looking back at a post that you did about, you know, how a lot of entrepreneurs start in respect to you with the lemonade stand and the selling cookies. Let me talk, talk to me about that story. God, where did we start, Peter? We might be here a minute. We'll have to go all the way back to when I was like four. No, I, I do think there is something to be said. And, and you know, before we hit record, we were, we were talking about this. There are a lot of similarities between my story and probably a lot of other entrepreneurs, which is I've always wanted, or at least I've tried to create opportunity for myself. So whether that was, you know, charging my dad to mow his lawn, like charging my mom to give her hand massages when I was, she used to give me 20p to do, give her a hand massage when I was like seven years old. And I was like, oh my God, I have a whole pound after doing it every day for a week. I'm rich. And, you know, to your point around like the lemonade stand, like it wasn't literally a lemonade stand, but I would sell my toys outside my house. I would 
I had a sort of baked goods stand every Wednesday at my university because I realized there was a very heavy weed smoking community at my university. And so when I worked out the entrance they were coming in and out of to smoke weed, but I set up my little stand there every Wednesday because I saw a gap in the market of people that smoke weed typically like to eat food afterwards. So what better way for me to make a bit of extra cash than sell food to them? And uh, yeah, that's just always been my, I guess, mindset about everything. It's always like, what can I be doing more? What can I be doing more? Like, where can I make some more money here? Like I had an eBay business when I was 12, you know, I was buying and selling clothes I'd buy from, you know, um, op shops like Oxfam and um, Marie Curie and things like that. I'd go and buy, you know, Levi branded jeans, or I'd occasionally find a designer bag in there that the poor little lady behind the counter didn't realize was a designer and I'd buy it. And then I'd resell it on eBay for like 20x the price. And yeah, I've just always been very entrepreneurially minded. So it was then no surprise that when I was 21, I actually did a year out of university in industry and decided that I didn't really want to work for anyone else. I found that I was a problematic, shall we say, employee in that (laughs) telling me what to do, I wouldn't fucking listen to it because I'd be like, that's wrong. Like, I'm not doing that. And I think when you're 21, you do have a sort of level of arrogance sitting on your shoulders of like, I know everything. So of course, I then had the confidence to go and start my own business because I was like, well, I've got this. This is absolutely fine. And in the first year, it was it was pretty successful. Like we did a profit. I could pay myself a wage, which was, which was pretty cool. And then year two, the whole thing failed. And we can dig into the ins and outs of why that failure happened. There's a number of different kind of compounding reasons. But overall, it was because of my hubris. I just didn't. I thought I knew everything. Um, I didn't have the humility to ask for help. And I fucked the entire business up. And as a result, I lost everything. Like I had to sell my car, I had to move out of my house, I had to move out of my parents. And it was a very humbling experience and one that scarred me for nearly a decade. Um, I went back and worked, you know, for someone because I didn't feel good enough. I carried a lot of shame about that failure for a long time. And it wasn't until the pandemic happened, which I know was awful for a lot of people, but for me was the best thing that's ever happened to me because if for the first time in my entire life, I had three months to just sit there in the four walls of my house and think, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And so quit my job, start clout. And 23 months later, we are the 21st fastest growing startup in London, team of seven, about to be 10. And yeah, that's the journey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's an amazing history because like, and, and it's funny because when you, you mentioned about the pandemic, like so many people had that, myself included. I'd written a few kids books and I'd gone through that period of time after I left EA and I was like, what the fuck do I do next? And looking at the whole push for purpose, there's an awful lot of people like trying to figure out like what's next. For me, I was like, if I'm not going to do it at a fucking pandemic, when am I going to do it? So um, yeah, like it's similar here. There was similar like modes of um, like the push me down that avenue. I think also it's interesting because we can learn a lot from our past. Like I know when you mentioned earlier about when, how, how difficult it was when you actually failed with your first business at 21 like failure is actually a really good lesson but obviously at the time it can be quite raw looking back what were the direct effects of of that that time and what how do you think it's led to the success of clout today god i mean at the time i mean hindsight's a wonderful thing right like i think there's a very famous nelson mandela quote which is you don't win or lose you win or learn and that's become one of our that core values of clout is like there's that failure is an option here and actually i want the guys to fail because it's pretty much only through failure that you work out better ways of doing things but god at the time i was like my life is over because my entire identity was 
tied to that business, right? Like I was the 21 year old founder of a business where all my friends were working in like basically being like the, the T boy or girl or bitch, however you want to say it, um, at these huge businesses. And I was running my own business. I had my own car. Like I was living my best life on paper. So a huge part of my identity was tied to being the founder of this this women's wear brand, um, which on paper was doing very well because we had a big Instagram following, you know, loads of celebrities wearing my stuff, you know, all the wags or Colleen Rooney, you know, John Terry's wife, um, Danielle Lloyd, like they were dripping in, in my brand. And so we were in the Daily Mail a lot. And so on the paper, on, you know, on paper, it looked like we were doing, doing very, very well. And I suppose the lessons that I took from that failure was that, I mean, God, this endless. I mean, the first and foremost is like, you don't know everything. And the minute you think you do is the minute you're going to fail. So like never lose sight of understanding where your weak spots are and sometimes not even trying to fill them with your own knowledge, just delegating it to someone that that, that is better than you. Like I suck, Peter, at numbers, which as someone who is a sales-driven, goal-driven, number-driven human being sounds really counterproductive, particularly when they're running a business. So I have a fucking excellent accountant because I'd suck at that area of my business. When I was 21 running either side, I didn't have that because I was like, I can do it, it's fine. I can learn how to do it on YouTube. So it was like that naivety of, which obviously led to the failure, but also led to all the lessons of, I can do all this by myself. I think also it taught me that, you know, you can come back from pretty much anything. Definitely, yeah. And so it's almost a decade after the first business failed. And it, it not necessarily because I didn't have any ideas for businesses, it's because I didn't have the balls to start them. And so that shame I carried for a very long time. But the thing that it's taught me is I can come back from a max out credit card. I can come back from a missed mortgage payment. I can come back from missing my kid's sports day. I can come back from being fired for a job I didn't enjoy. I cannot come back from lying on my deathbed and thinking, for fuck's sake, why didn't I spend more time focusing on the things that I actually wanted to do. Like no one's going to sit there and be like, damn, I wish I'd watched more Netflix or damn, I wish I'd worked longer for that particular employer or damn, I wish I'd put in more hours for that boss. That was a bit of a dick. Like you're going to lie on your deathbed and go, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I wish I'd spent more time on my goals. I wish I'd spent more time focusing on the things that made me happy. I've never met a single person who's over the age of 80 who like wishes they'd done less. They all wish that they could have done more. And that was the biggest lesson I took from that business failing is that you can fuck everything up in your life and still go on to win. It's just about the mindset that you have around that. And although it took me a decade to realize that the lesson was there right from the start, like I could have gone again the next year and probably made the next business hugely successful. But it just took me a minute to find what that thing was. Yeah, exactly. I was talking to somebody the other day about, um, you know, like carpe diem, but it's not that it's about carpe anum. It's like rather than just simply seizing the day, seize the entire year and figure out how far you can grow in a year and then do that again in the following year. And you realize over the period of like four or five years that you've grown exponentially. And so as those businesses and influences around you, whilst at the same time you can spend five years just watching Netflix and you'd be like, where the fuck has that five years gone? So yeah. it's that like holding yourself accountable to change um, and then that is where true change can come from. And I think also listening to your story, it's very much about vulnerability as well, like be embracing vulnerability. And I think there's a lesson here which actually drove the conversation to why we're speaking today as to why we as leaders should be more vulnerable. So if you want to dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I haven't always been like that because I do think there is a level of confidence needed to be vulnerable because it, it's weird because it's on paper you would think vulnerability is weakness and closeness off is, is strength, right? But actually it's the opposite. 
vulnerability is strength because you don't have an ego or a pride attached to it. Whereas when you close yourself off, that's you protecting your pride and your ego from potentially, you know, upsetting someone or someone being upset with you or not seeing you as the big, great leader that you're meant to be, right? But actually the strength that comes from being vulnerable, not just online, but also offline is that people trust you more. People uh, relate to you more, particularly when you're a leader of a business. Like my team know when I'm having a shit day because I tell them, but they also know that I'll fix it. And so I think there is a real strength in, in giving other people permission to be vulnerable, particularly when you're running a business. Like my, I know, if, I mean, we're a small business, right? Like we're not even 10 heads yet, but, and I'm sure this will grow and change. And I hope my subcultures within a, a bigger business will maintain this, this theory. But I do think if you're a business leader being vulnerable online and offline with your team in the same, same capacity, you're giving permission to your team to be like, Hey, I can't show up hundred percent today because this is happening in my life. And that will only make your business better because if your team can come to you and say, Hey, I'm struggling a little bit at the minute because my partner was made redundant and I'm hundred percent responsible for the bills or my mom's just gone into hospital and we found out she's got cancer or those little nuanced things that happen in people's lives. Inevitably, if you're aware of those things, you can then manage it. If you're not aware of those things, because they're scared to tell you, you can't manage it. And so when Sally has not been performing for three months and you sit her down and review and be like, what is going on? And she's already checked out because you've been hammering her every single month for underperforming. Meanwhile, she's fighting a couple of miscarriages and some fertility treatment. You, without context, you cannot manage performance and you cannot manage people. So it's really important to be vulnerable online, which is, I guess, in, in many respects, how I've built my brand. But really important to be vulnerable offline particularly when you're running a business yeah exactly it's the ability to care for people as people rather than people as simply a cog in a wider machine which is not really the case um looking at at you as the person not just the, the brand talk to me about like some of the biggest challenges that you've been through over the course of the last couple of years um and how you've kind of leaned into those challenge to kind of push forward to where you are today I mean, the number one challenge for me over the last two years has been divorce. Like, it's been hell, to be honest. And it's not because he, my ex-husband, has made it hell. It's just, it's a hellish thing for both of you to go through. I think when you've been with someone for so long, it's like a death, right? But the death is also that you're fighting over assets and trying to work out custody agreements and also then trying to focus also on your children. As you know, we said before we jumped on this call, like we both have kids trying to manage them throughout this process of change as well, all the while, whilst trying to build, start, scale clout. There have been Peter that I literally would like have tears in my eyes on team calls, just like trying to hold it together. Cause I was like, I'm literally going to have a nervous breakdown because this is so tough. And you know, sometimes I did. Sometimes I was like, guys, I just can't show up for you today. Like I, I can't, I'm really sorry. And, you know, I'm so lucky that I have a team that have got my back and, you know, they, they were like, cool, no worries. Like we got you, you're fine. Like this is why we're all here is to help in these situations. And then there were other times where I would, you know, smile in front of them and then quietly fix, you know, my mammoth issue in the background because that's also strength right like sometimes it's it's good to be vulnerable and other times it's not because if you're always vulnerable with your team um, and maybe this is contradictory to what I said earlier but if every single day you're telling them what your problems are and the challenges that you're facing and all this kind of stuff there is an element there of like wow where's the stability coming from then like where is that stable steady ship coming from 
And so for me, I guess the biggest challenge aside from going through my personal life was also trying to manage the business and my team and the people within that at the same time. But I also think it was my greatest blessing too, because I don't think if I had the focus of the business has to grow, the business has to grow. We have to get more business, more business, more business, more team members, more team members, more team members. You know, have to elevate that client. We have to put that client on a bigger package. Like, you know, think if I didn't have that all the time, I would have crumbled. And if I'd crumbled, the impact that would have had on my children would have been exponential but I didn't because I had a focus and so yeah like the divorce thing is tough for anyone that's been through that like you'll understand it's just it's it's heartbreaking yeah and I and imagine it's even harder with kids like we've got kids as well we've got twins on the way it's going to be fucking carnage um but ultimately I think you know I agree in what you're saying like vulnerability is key but it's also accountability as well like you have to at a set point rather than kind of say oh, I wish this hadn't happened I wish that hadn't happened like take care take care of yourself and take on that commitment to being accountable for change and you can deliver anything from that period of time what I'm interested to dive into a little bit more than what you just said then though about the always oh, that drive what what's driving that drive is it something from school is it is it your parents or is it growing up in Australia what's what's driving that key motivation to always go for more it's interesting because none of my family are entrepreneurs, right? And I've been doing, I've been in therapy, which I've, I've posted about many, many times, but I've been in therapy for like on and off for 15 years. And it's only really in the last like six months that I feel like I've really started to understand my behaviors and like why I do what I do and why I act how I act and why I think, think. And a little bit of it is ADHD. <laughs> like which is sprinkle on top. I was recently diagnosed adult, adult, well, not that recently, but adult, adult ADHD. And the other part of it, I think, is I have a huge chip on my shoulder. I came from Australia when I was seven years old. Whereabouts in Australia? In Melbourne. Well, I was born in Melbourne, brought up in Sydney. Yeah. 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 So my my mum's family are all from uh, all over the place, but mainly from Mildura, which is about seven hours north of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. And I came to the UK, my dad's English, came to the UK when we were seven because my dad got, you know, a better job here and, you know, it was it made financial sense for them to move us. But the schooling system in Australia is different to the schooling system here. So I had only done a year of school when I moved. Mm-hmm. And obviously when I was seven and I moved here, I went straight into year three. So actually I skipped out on two years almost of uh, school time. And so when I went into year three, I didn't know how to read properly. I didn't know how to write properly. So I sat in that classroom feeling stupid. And on top of that, I had no friends because all of these kids had grown up together in in this school. And on top of that, I was the new kid with the weird accent. So I was like the target for every single thing. Um, I had no confidence to ask any questions. And although it got better, and obviously there was no bullying in primary school because they're primary school kids, they don't, they're not, you know, they're not that mean. But when I got to secondary school, the lack of confidence and the feeling of maybe shame about not being smart enough or not being enough for the teachers really, really impacted my certainly the first kind of four years of my secondary school. Like I didn't really have a huge amount of friends. I was picked on, you know, I remember having, I remember squaring up to a girl in the girl's toilets and slapping her because she was, and I got in so much trouble for that. Like I never condone putting your hands on anyone. 
but I felt this girl had just been relentlessly bullying me for months and months and months. And I got to a point where I was like at breaking point. And so I think a big part of my drive comes from fuck you. Like, look where I am now. Like actually to a degree, I think everyone who's had any kind of success in anything has, I think there's like this little bug on your shoulder. That's like, like prove them wrong. Whether it's your parents, your partner, you know, your friends, your whatever your upbringing is, there's always something where it's like, no, I can, I, I, I've got this. I'm going to be the person that shows you I'm not who you think I am, and that's never gone away for me. I'm obviously I don't give a shit now, like <laughs> what any of the people I went to school with are doing with their lives, like they're insignificant to me. But there is still that little bug in my head that's like, you have to keep going. You have to prove that you are enough and almost for like seven-year-old me to be like, look what you did. That's what, that, that's what I want. It sounds like you're not really proving it to them. You're proving it to yourself. That yeah. Like the, this kind of girl that got picked on at school that probably sounds like hated school, hated university. Hated it. Mainly because the teachers made me feel stupid, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I could have dealt with the social side. Like I was a pretty, I'm an introvert extrovert. So in conversations like this, I will be loud and bubbly and obnoxious and all the things and use all my hands. <laughs> but in large social settings, I, I, I get quite anxious. Like I, I sort of sit in the corner and I'll talk to the one person that I know because I find it difficult to be in. If it's a business thing, it's different, but in a social setting, I find it quite difficult to be in large. And that's something I'm working on. I, I really hated school because teachers made me feel dumb. I would ask questions and they'd be like, don't be ridiculous. Or I'd be in detention worse. I'd be in detention for asking questions like why? Why are we doing it this way, miss? Why Why are we not learning about that? Have you thought about this thing? And I was always getting in trouble for basically, quote, unquote, questioning their authority, but I wasn't. I was just curious. Like, I was just like, why are we doing it this way? I would like to know why. And it wasn't until I went to sec- sixth form. It's like a, I went to three secondary schools, right? Because I was, I was not a great student. <laughs> uh, it's the diplomatic of like, well, we're not going to kick her out, but maybe like you want to find another school kind of situation. <laughs> Um, and so I went, I went to two secondaries and then, a, and then a third, um, sixth form. And it wasn't until I went to the sixth form, which was basically built for wealthy parents to send their kids that they kind of didn't know what the fuck to do with because they'd been so naughty in all these schools. And like everyone in that school was the same kid. We were all misunderstood. All of us had like some kind of ADHD, ADD situation going on. And we all got each other because we were all in the same boat and the teachers got us too which for me was like this revelation. All of a sudden I was like, learning is really fun. And oh my God, this like English is really interesting. And Shakespeare, how did I not love Shakespeare before? He's what a great guy. Like it was like my whole brain had been opened to knowledge and learning, loving, like falling in love with learning. And it's so disappointing for me that it took to 17 years old to find that and that it took the privilege of my parents being able to afford to send me to that kind of school to find that. And that's why I always say to people, I hated school because I I hate school did not teach me how to love learning, which is its sole purpose, right? Anyone can revise for a degree. Anyone can revise for a test. Anyone can, you know, memorize mathematical equations. It's really hard to learn how to learn. And I think that's where school really fails kids. Yeah, mate, I didn't like school until I got to like do my master's and only that point in time did I start really enjoying learning. And I, I guess like the only reason that probably kept me going is is the fact that I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. <laughs> and I left that period of time, I, I did my degree, right? And then I left 
went and worked for a few different companies, worked for the police, worked in engineering. I went over to Australia, actually in Melbourne for a period of time um, for an engineering firm there. Uh, I traveled for about two years all over the shop and came back to my master's and I'm still like, I don't know what I wanted to do. And I think the thing is, I'm 39 now and people get to the point in their, in their lives where they, they're, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. And I guess that fear sometimes keeps them in positions and jobs that they don't really like and enjoy. And I think it's okay to be fearful about anything. And I'm, I'm much more nowadays likely to lean into challenge or lean into fear because I want to kind of see who the who I am in like five years time, who, the, who that person is, what he's about and what the person like in 10 years time is about and how far I can grow and, and develop. We did an episode a while ago with Dr. Grace Lorden about creating your me plus, that better version of yourself and what you can do to kind of learn and develop. And I've become obsessed with learning now. So um, it's strange that you almost have to go through periods of pain to really find your purpose. Yeah, I think that listening to your story, it resonates with me because I've been there too, right? So, yeah, I, I think I do think there is this narrative around like, I mean, I know you've said pain there, but pain and failure, I think, are so are so in, are closely intertwined. And there is this whole thing of like, you like win or you lose, and it's like actually, you lose, 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 you lose in order to win. It's like they're the same, they're part of the same journey. And I don't think you can find your purpose. I don't think you can succeed. I don't think you can win however you want to define it without first getting some scars. And it's those scars that give you the self-awareness to then order to be able to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine with the weather warming up it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a pilates class or outdoor guided walk Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Talking about like scars, two things. Um, I've, I've heard you talk before about comparison paralysis. Um, but secondly to that, I'd be interested to know what scars, what are your like top three fuck-ups as a founder so far? Because like I make them all the time as a founder. I'm interested to know as to what yours are. I should pull up a post actually. I did. A, I actually did a post on this like recently. Uh, I think it was my top three fuck ups. As I've <laughs> but the whole premise of the post was like, there's a whole generation of entrepreneurs who feel like they're failing because all they're seeing is other entrepreneurs succeed online. Like no one talks about the fuck ups. Like, so, 
So my top three fuck ups, and I wear these with more pride than I wear the milestones in which you've achieved because it's through these fuck ups that I've learned the best lessons. So the biggest fuck up we had was very recently, actually, we recently discovered that there was two clients or three clients that we hadn't sent invoices to for like six months. And it was like totaling like 50K in revenue. So it wasn't a small amount of money, right? Like that's like at least one person, if not two people's salary or one and a half people's salary in the business. So that was like, I was like, oh, that's where that hole came in in Q1 revenue. <laughs> like, <where> that <laughs> um, so that was a huge fuck up. Like, why wasn't I all over that? I just trusted that the people at the, the finance team that I was working with at the time were just like on it and they weren't. And it's my fuck up because I didn't tell them about this client. We just started working with them and, you know, it's entirely my fault and I will eat that all day. Like it had no one else's input. That was my biggest fuck up, but we found, we found it right. And now we audit everything every month. So we know what's coming in, what's going out, you know, aligning it with all the work that we're doing. You know, a head of ops works with the accountant to like audit subscriptions. So we're not endlessly paying for shit that we don't need. Like we have a process now, which is good. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. (laughs) Um, The second biggest fuck up was working with clients and candidates that just weren't aligned with with me with the business with the values and the reason i said me first is any company that says our values are driven by our employees run away from them with your life because your values have to come from leadership because they they are the people that drive the culture they are the reason this business exists and yes you have to have input from your team and yes you need to evolve those values as the business evolves but bloody hell, if you're not hiring, firing, doing all those things as a leader in line with the values that you've created, then one, you obviously don't believe in them. Or two, you didn't create them in the first place, which is even more worrying than if you're not believing in them, I think. So yeah, working with clients that just weren't aligned with our values is a big one. I've had to fire three people because I hired the wrong people. That was a very expensive exercise. What's another one that we fucked up? Just like undercharging, I think as well. Like it's a small one, but it, it has a big impact. Like when I first started Clout, I used to charge seven hundred and fifty pounds to do a content plan for people. At the time, I was like, I just want to get paid to do something I love. Like that seems like a reasonable amount of money. We charge for the same thing now, like three and a half grand. <laughs> like <laughs> it's like, and and we're probably going to increase that because actually our demand for our work is so high. Just respect your value and your expertise, and then add tax. I think. Is, a, is an important lesson. Um, and also don't be afraid to ask for more money. Like if a client is is running you around the houses and you're having to spend all this money on them, like charge them more. Like it's business, right? Like I do think when you're a small business or you're a business owner there and freelancers too, there is a tendency for you to like want to keep everyone happy at the expense of your pocket. Don't do that. It's a value exchange. It's not, a, you know, one weighted, one not. Yeah, I love the fact that you say it's a value exchange because so many so many people fall into that trap of um, you know my my fears X and then the, the the potential client goes what that's that's quite steep and then you drop your price to appease a client that ultimately leads to the biggest headaches ever so like that whole an alignment to who is the type of people that you want to work with and why and and then equally the respect of value it's not just monetary it's it's the value of your experience and and what you have to offer and yeah. let, that leads me into the the personal branding piece because i think at this present moment in time i looked back i can't remember which video you said it on but it really resonated with me when you said personal branding it's essentially individuals have 10 times the reach of a company brand 
And I think a lot of people don't understand how or why this is the case. So I'd like to take a step back and let you give our audience a a 101 into personal branding. Yeah, God. Okay. So one on one personal branding. So yeah, as you said, like individuals within a business have 10 X the reach of a company brand online. Right. And that's why influencers exist. It's why the Kardashians exist. Like people give a shit about people. They don't give a shit about brands. Like you cannot tell me for a second that if it was a bunch of companies sitting around a table, shaking salads every Saturday night, that the Kardashians would be as big as they are. They're not. People are interested in other people's lives, no matter how boring. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think people think that personal branding is like a really ego-driven activity. Like it's like a look at me exercise when actually it's quite the opposite. It's you adding value to the audience that you're trying to attract, whether that be you're making them laugh, like creating memes, like fuck Jerry or, you know, do for the sign or like whatever like that, you know what I mean? Or it could be, um, you want to add value to them. You want to, you know, give education to them, which is like a Mark Cuban, like, you know, he shares all his business tips. It could be Justin Walsh, who's on LinkedIn, like gives all of his LinkedIn information away for free. It could be that you want to enrage people. Candace Owens is a great example of that. I, I genuinely believe she's solely write stuff and post stuff purely to enrage people because that's her brand. And then I guess the other piece is inspirational content, right? Like Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, super inspirational, like, you know, started her business with $5,000 and a red backpack. Like that's her story. And she lives, dies, breathes by it. And what an inspirational story it is. So none of those things are ego. They're all about adding value, however you perceive value to be, to the community that they're trying to, to build. And I think when you hear, quote unquote, gurus saying, add value, add value, it's hard to kind of quantify what that means. Value is just anything that's valuable to your audience. So if you're a, a fitness influencer and you're sharing a bikini picture of your before and after shred, to me, me posting that, that would be like, why the fuck is she posting a bikini picture? But to your audience, that would be really valuable. Because you're like, hey, I did this thing and look at the results I had. That's a valuable piece of content. You could also share a meme. Say you're like a, a, a marketing agency owner and you share a meme about how wacky being a marketing agency owner is and you're trying to attract other marketing agency owners. That's really valuable. You could also give free information away like I do. I say, here's how to build your personal brand online. Like I literally give 100% of my knowledge away for free. That's also really valuable because I'm teaching someone something. Building your personal brand doesn't have to be about constantly, here's how I do this and here's some information you don't know, and being all smart and intelligent. It's literally just finding a way to captivate your audience and let them know who you are so that when they want to buy or use services or products that you're selling, they're the first person that they come to. And I think it's a really kind of important point to make here that and you can put this on every single industry in the world, that 85% of your audience aren't ever ready to buy. Like whether you're a brand or a person, they're, they're not ready to buy from you yet. They are not interested. They don't know they have a problem, whatever it might be. 12% at any given time are thinking about buying. Maybe they're aware they have a problem or they're not quite aware they have a problem, but they've realized it's not quite right. Um, and then 3% at any given time are buying actively what you're selling. And you can apply that to candidates as well, like employees. You can apply that to the market generally as well. So when you think about that practically, 99.999% of all businesses target the 3% that are actively buying and completely ignore the rest of the majority. What personal branding does is it builds up influence with the people before they're ready to buy. So with the 85%, right, you're building influence. You're telling them about things that they you know, want to know about. You're educating them. You're adding value to their lives. So when they do get to the consideration stage, guess whose company is the first one they think of 
Amelia Sordell because she's been talking about personal branding in my feed for the last 12 months. Like, you know, Peter Bell because he's been talking about this in my feed for the last month. I don't know, Sarah Blakely. I'm going to go get the, go, I'm going to go buy those spanked because I've seen Sarah Blakely in my feed for the last 12 months. Like, personal branding gives you a competitive business advantage because it gets in front of people that you otherwise wouldn't be able to reach, particularly on social media. If you look at brand accounts, the followers on brand accounts versus the founders' followers, it's exponentially bigger. Elon Musk versus Tesla, Sarah Blakely versus Spanx, Richard Branson versus um, Virgin, Michael Dell versus Dell Technology. You know, the list goes on. Exponentially better results come from founders and people within a business. Gymshark, another great example of wearing repping their brand. <laughs> but Gymshark, another example of a company that is built on a culture of personal branding. And it's because it builds community and community is what wins you business and loyal business of that. Yeah, I was going to say that community piece is massive. Like what people are, are looking for at the moment is not simply engagement, but like to, to, to build out trusted tribes, people that um, really have a belief in your brand and by people being willing to share their, their knowledge and to share their insight, it, it creates that trust. And if you're advocating towards an issue that people care about and you care about, then you create you create that connection as well. And I think at this present point in time, companies just have to really pivot back to what they really stand for and believe in and articulate that over and over and over and over again. And that'll build out the, that engagement, that, that tribe that they're looking for. And then, you know, when you do look back to your, your stats that you were saying, you, and also the value that you can charge, people don't question you as to, you know, are like what did you say 750 quid to start with like that that is not a value amount that people would question if you've built that trust to begin with and you've shared mm -hmm. something that is adding value to their lives as well so this is why i'm so like stoked with in respect to where we're going from a creator economy because like the old ways of doing everything was all about like shareholder value and like let's let's provide the value to our shareholders and but actually there's a lot of people talking like we we chatted to coots just the other day when we were talking about stakeholder capitalism and i've chatted to other people and we're talking about the creator economy there's a lot of people like buzzing about what's going on in respect to the metaverse and, and the transition that we're making mm. but yeah for me it's it comes down to simple elements of actually documenting your journey like mm -hmm. documenting what like if you've learned something that, that you believe is of value then share it with people in the hope that it might actually add some value to them like it's not simply a, a shift to a, a new paradigm it's it's ultimately the ability to really take care in who your consumer base are and um, provide them the value that they're striving for at this point in time. Yeah, and I do think there is a comparison paralysis element to this that we're sort of ignoring a little bit in this conversation in that people will look at the likes of Stephen Bartlett, Dominic McGregor, Katie Leeson, like, you know, they're all younger examples, but people online who've built big big brands, right? And when I say brands, I mean personal brands, but also big businesses. And they think, gosh, I'm not Steven, so I can't do that. And it's like, actually, you can. Um, if you go back and, and I know Ash, the guy that's behind Steven, Steven's brand relatively well, and we've had conversations about this. And when Steve first started building his personal brand, it was king shit. Like it, it would take seven hours to get two minutes of video from it because he was so nervous. Like <laughs> the, the brand you see today didn't happen overnight. It's happened over the last 10 years, pretty much. So don't feel like you have to know it all to start. Like just start talking. That's how I started. I just started talking about things that I was interested in. I was like, hey, I've just read this book. Like, what do you think about it? Hey, I just ran this campaign and it totally fucked up. Here's why I think it fucked up. Like, you know, you would give me some advice. Like that was, that was how I started building my brand um it wasn't 
with the intent of monetizing it or it wasn't in the intent of getting thousands of followers and millions of likes. Like it was purely just like, Hey, I need a community of people to interact with. And do you want to be my friend? And actually that's something that I've really kind of tried to carry through. Um, like I've met community members offline, like we've gone for drinks. I've, I know at least 500 to a thousand people by name that comment on my stuff all the time because like, they're there all the time and I interact with them and we have conversations and there is an element of all of this kind of personal branding chat that people miss, which is the community and the authenticity, which I know is the worst marketing buzzword in the world, <laughs> but like being real, right? Like I'm not yeah, here yeah. to make followers. I'm here to make friends because friends buy from you. Friends support you. Friends are loyalty. Friends are a community. You can influence friends. If it was followers, I could just buy them. Like it's not about that. It's about how you can make an impact on a community that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to reach because a brand cannot influence them. A brand talks at people, right? People talk to people. And that's why personal branding is so powerful. And it's interesting as well, when you pivot back to like your experiences you had when you moved to the UK and the challenges that you face, like how you've now built out a brand that is representative of who you are. You've had the courage to kind of follow those convictions. And I think looking at like Stephen Bartlett's of the world, it takes time as well. Appreciation of time, the whole unicorn argument, not everybody's going to get to, to to the unicorn so stop trying and why to would you that. want to right like it sounds yeah. like hell <laughs> yeah exactly but like it's it's just having the courage i think to live the the life true to yourself rather than live for the expectation of others and i think when you are able to do that then you become a lot more authentic open honest and that is where like all good things are built from that that kind of freedom to to be part of something bigger than yourself and i think um that's why I'm so stoked about where we're heading in the future because there's a lot of businesses, there's a lot of people changing around themselves that's been driven out of the pandemic or that moment of like crisis and ultimately we're seeing amazing things come from it. So yeah, I'm, I'm only positive for the future. What would your key takeaways be to our audience? And also, if I were to say finish this sentence based upon your journey, I have learned more from it's interesting because as soon as you say that, my brain goes to doing, then learning. I'm one of those people that if you tell me something, I'll absorb it and I'll take it in, but I'll be like, fuck it, I'm going to do it my way anyway. On one hand, like I'm, I think it's really important to take counsel from people and, and get advice. And that's a lesson I had to learn the hard way with my first business. But I also believe inherently you have a gut for a reason and your gut is your second brain. And you should listen to that above all other data. Because I'm okay with my gut being wrong. I'm not okay with not listening to my gut and it being right. So listen to your gut, do what you want to do. And to finish your sentence, it would be, I learn more or I could take more away from doing stuff and figuring it out along the way than trying to wait and absorb as much information as possible and then acting because you won't ever act, will you? Because you'll just be constantly waiting for that fit, that moment to happen. The moment will never happen. Exactly. Act first, think later. Happy days. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's the, there's a quote, isn't it? It says, um, it's not ready, aim, fire. It's ready, fire, aim. <laughs> and okay, I think that's exactly. so true. You fire first and then if you miss the shot, you fire again. It's a great way to look at life, I think. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great way to finish as well. So thank you so, so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. My God, it's gone so fast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, yeah, a really interesting conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. 
You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.